It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as always, the Chief Football Correspondent of TalkSport, Alex Crook, and the former Chelsea defender, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show. The idea that Newcastle will be happy about being out of the Europa League is rubbish. They will be absolutely gutted, not only to not be in the in the Champions League when they had a chance of getting there. Manchester United in particular, to go out of a group that included Copenhagen and Galatasaray, hardly two heavyweights of Europe, and finish bottom of the group. That's absolutely abject and shameful from a Manchester United perspective. The truth is, is that they haven't done a very good job. They've done a very bad job. And as a result, Chelsea are in a... Pochettino's in a predicament where... It, they can't win games. But what we do have is a potential world-class player who has been made captain, even though I don't think he was quite ready to be captain of Chelsea Football Club, who can't stay fit. And there's no doubt about it, if him and Ben Chilwell are fit on a regular basis, those two players are absolutely key. He hasn't got an identity out of Manchester United. You don't know what they're trying to do. Even when they win games against the dregs in the Premier League, the performances are poor. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm very good, Sam. Crookie, you okay? Yeah, good. Not bad, thank you. How are you, Sam? Hungover. Absolutely blitzed. Um, <laughs> I went out last night after a Newcastle's game with uh, AC Milan. I went out with uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Guy Mowbray. Good, uh, good, good, good lad. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I've got to admit, I, I'm a little bit um, Oh, cloudy this morning. That is probably the best way to describe it. I'm sure there's a few Newcastle people that are feeling like that as well because it was a really disappointing night. Started so well. The first half, I thought they were terrific last night. Really good. They approached the game brilliantly. And then just ran out of steam in the second half and and got caught on the break by AC Milan and ended up going out of Europe as a whole. You know, At one stage last night, they were in the Champions League knockout stages and then things changed. And, and they only had to win that game. If they had won that game last night, they would have been in the Champions League after Christmas. But it wasn't to be. Um, so we turn our attention, and they do as well, to the Premier League. And we're going to start with a Friday night action at the City Ground. Nottingham Forest against Spurs is live on Talk Sports at 8 o'clock on Friday night. Now, it's... Why don't you just give us an update on the situation in terms of the manager, Crook? Because apparently the last chance saloon was the Wolverhampton Wanderers game. They drew that one and then there was a little bit of calm afterwards. Where are we with Steve Cooper? I do feel sorry for Steve Cooper. Every every day, every time there's a, a defeat or a draw, there's always speculation about his future. I don't think it's fair, really. But anyway, go on. No, I understand where you're coming from um, with that. But it is only one win in 12, despite a dramatically improved performance at Wolves. And they produced the previous midweek when they were battered at Fulham. And I think the, the owner was watching that and saw a, a together team, a group of players who were still very much behind the manager. And that's why it's a little bit calmer as far as Steve Cooper is concerned. But this is a, a difficult game again against a Tottenham side that we saw destroy Newcastle last weekend. And if they were to lose it and lose heavily, then I think once again, Steve Cooper would be on a knife edge. I spoke to Morgan Gibbs-White this week, actually. And uh, he certainly gave the impression that the players are firmly behind the manager. He said that nobody else could have achieved at Forest what Steve Cooper has. And it's up to them to show their commitment and put it right and start to win games, particularly at home, where they obviously were really difficult to beat at the end of last season. That hasn't been the case in recent weeks. OK, let's hear from him. He's been speaking in the last uh, day or so to you about the importance of how they reacted after that Fulham thumping. We discussed it um, a day after the defeat against Fulham. 
and we said to each other, look, we have to go out there and fight for each other and have that mentality to be together. And no matter what happens, we stick together and we run for each other. And that's, like I said, I feel like that's what we showed on the weekend against Wolves. How do you shut out the outside noise? Because obviously there's been an awful lot of speculation about the manager as well. How as a group of players do you, do you stop that being a distraction? I don't think it became a distraction. I think it's normal whenever you go on a bad run, pressure becomes on the manager, pressure becomes on the team. And I feel like we're sort of the team that thrives on that sort of pressure, especially after, like I said, after the result that we got on the weekend, we can only really look forward now. Um, and I think that's the main thing to do now. Don't look back, is look forward. And obviously the fans are all behind the manager. They've been pretty clear of that, even in defeat against Fulham. What, what does Steve Cooper mean to this group of Nottingham Forest players? Oh, he means the absolute world. I think what he's done for not just the club, but for the city in general, I don't think anyone, any manager apart from him could have done that. So I think that's why we are so invested into him. We believe in, in him so much because we think he's the perfect man for this job. But like I said, as any team does, they go through through bad spells in the season but it's just about how you react from that and how you bounce back from that. And I feel like, like I said, Saturday was a was a good reaction. I mean, Scott, the players seemingly are still behind Steve Cooper. The fans are definitely behind Steve Cooper. They're a point better off at this stage of the season than they were at this stage last season. They stopped a run of four consecutive defeats with that draw at Molyneux last weekend. So if the fans, the players, and the results are better than, than last year, uh, they're all behind him. Why is there this constant chatter? I think the constant chatter is the combination of an owner who has a history of sacking managers, even though, to be fair to him, he gave Steve Cooper, uh, uh, I think it was a five-year contract last year, um, even when we weren't quite sure if they were going to stay up. And also the the one win in 12. And look, I was at the, the Craven Cottage. I was at the Cottage um, last week and and it was a shocking performance. But I'm very much in the Steve Cooper camp. I think that... A season has lots of ups, lots of downs, you know, a continual amount of players coming in the summer. So, again, he's got to try and find his his best 11. And he didn't just make lots of changes for this particular game, but he changed the system. Um, I think he made themselves much more difficult to beat. I spoke about Harry Toffolo was probably the only one, maybe one or two, um, that could hold his head up high at the cottage after that performance. And, and he scored as well. But there's no doubt about it. I hate the, you know, I hate the the phrase. The players are either with him or not. They're, they're with him. The fans are with him. And I just hope that the owner doesn't pull the trigger. Whatever happens over the next few games, look, and it's tough as well. Spurs, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Manchester United. No idea which way December's going to go for him. But I, and while it's not about just what you've done for me in the past, I think he's got credit in the bank to to give him time to the end of the season. I don't think they'll go down, but they do need to start winning. Spurs had to start winning as well after what was a dismal run of results. And do you want, do you want, do you want a stat, George? Would you like a stat? This is quite amazing, really. I, I actually can't, can't believe that this is really true. But did you know that uh, Brighton have scored in each and every one of the last 32 games that they've played? Right? They've scored in every single one of them. Uh, did you know that uh, Liverpool have scored in every single one of the last 26, 27 games? And Spurs have scored in 28, last 28 games. Now, never, never before have we had a run where the top flight team has scored, two top flight teams have scored in that many games in a row. To have three is quite sensational. I think that tells us that the, the, the I mean, I've already mentioned last week, I think on the podcast, Crookie asked me about the number of goals that are being scored in the Premier League more than ever before. Um, at this stage of the season. And last year was the highest ever scoring Premier League season. So there is a sort of trend for more goals, isn't there? And, and, and Tottenham Hotspur, I suppose, by the way that they approach the game, are adding to that. Yeah, because they're always going to give you opportunities. Um, but the, the, the Ange Postacoglu way is very much to try to, to outscore the opposition. I, I think with that in mind, I think this is going to be a really good game to be honest, because Forest will want to prove they turned a corner. They're going to want to try and impose themselves at home, under the lights, to quote Morgan Gibbs-White, because I know you hate that phrase, Sam, but players believe it as well. And, you know, Tottenham are going to go there and, and play as they always do. On the front foot, they've got players in Son and Richarlison and Kulusevski 
who played particularly well against Newcastle last time out. So I think we could be in for a bit of a goal fest to kickstart the weekend on TalkSport. Especially if Son's in form and Richarlison's renaissance can continue because uh, both of them looked pretty good at the weekend, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'd just like to doff my cap to Ben Davis. Got to do the Defenders' Union. I thought it was a wonderful clearance or touch that he got at nil-nil and, and that could have yeah. been also different after that. But I personally think Son's best position is on the left. He's obviously filled in for, for Harry Kane. But I'm really pleased with Richarlison, especially with him going through personal problems as well. So, you know, apparently he's been working hard in training. He, he, the fans still are behind him. So I'm really pleased. And if he can be that number nine, not necessarily to, to, to fill the boots of Harry Kane and have Son on the left, but he's scoring goals as well. I tell you what, they become even more impotent and it's very important, especially with Madison out. I love the fact that we uh, we give players praise for really basic things nowadays. And Scott, I'm not having a go at you here. I'm just saying that the fact that a player working hard in training, well done for that. Fantastic. Well done for turning up and doing your job really well. That's, that's OK, brilliant. Simon Jordan. No, look, you're absolutely right. Honestly, 100% spot on. And back in my day, and I don't want to sound like sort of old, you, you would do that, whatever. But it does seem to be society the way it is at the moment. If they're not happy, and especially if they're on bundles of money, they feel like they can do what they want. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam. That's like us saying, Crook, well done for turning up to this podcast. It's basically actually what we do say, really. Um, we're just <laughs> we're pleased that he actually bothered. Right, let's move on. Newcastle against Fulham is live on TalkSport 2, Saturday at 3 o'clock. Um, Newcastle out of Europe entirely. It's strange, isn't it? Because I think years ago, there will be cynical people that always come up with this sort of phrase, oh yeah, it's better to be out of Europe altogether than it is to be in the Europa League. Well, I, I think that's total and utter nonsense. Um, the idea that Newcastle will be happy about being out of the Europa League is rubbish. They will be absolutely gutted, Scott, not only to not be in the, in the Champions League. When they had a chance of getting there, Mm. Uh, they're not playing European competition at all. Yeah, and and look, I, I li- I've heard some fans kind of say, "Oh, you know, Eddie Howe, you know, we've got to be doing better than this." Listen, get, I mean, just I don't know how to say this, but have a cold shower, shall we say? How h- far ahead of the game and ahead of schedule he is is incredible. And then you look at this group of death that was done in the first place, and you think, well, even if they finish third. Um, that would be brilliant. Now, obviously, they haven't. One, you've got brilliant nights back in the Champions League, and obviously the aim is to do that on a regular basis. But it took, how long did it take quickly fight Sir Alex Ferguson and United in the early days when they were winning Premier League titles, but but trying to get, regularly go deep into the Champions League? It took them years to deal with that kind of situation as well. They've got the injuries, and I agree with you, Sam. Look, in a couple of months' time, when the Europa League would pick up again, they definitely would have players back, and... It's a shame and it would be another great route to go into the Champions League if they were to win it. So big, big shame. But I still think you've got two English teams who finished bottom of their group. One can have a lot of pride and one needs to look at themselves very much in the mirror. Uh, as our chief football correspondent, uh, could uh, Crookie please tell me what now does to the coefficient that um, Newcastle and Manchester United have finished bottom of their tables? Does that mean that there's no chance of a fifth place next year? Well, how does it work? Good, you don't know. That's that's brilliant, uh, and that's and that is one of the issues, isn't it? Because actually, nobody knows. No one can work it out. I do think it has an impact, having having has glanced at it, but I, it, it it does rely on consistent performance if you're going to get that extra place. And obviously, we've had Newcastle and Manchester United go back into the Champions League, and they are proper tank. They finished bottom of their group, so that is going to have an impact, if not this year, next year, which is a real issue. Uh, what yeah, about Sam, what Eddie Howe? And... So, sorry, Sam. What if City and Arsenal go really deep into the Champions League then? Well, that will have an effect, but you're still not going to have as many points as you would do if you had four teams in the knockout stages because your your coefficient points are accumulated at a rapid rate once you get into the knockout stages. So it is going to definitely have an effect. I don't, I don't know how, how... I don't know what the current situation is, but it will definitely have some detrimental impact yeah. on... Yeah on the coefficient going forward and therefore then threaten the chance of having five places, if not next season, well, it, the season it, after. It will depend also on on how other, other countries have fared, of course, in comparison to, to the Premier League. 
Um, and if you look at the the round of 16, which I'm doing hastily now, um, you've, you've got Barcelona and Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid and Sociedad. So you've got four from Spain. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you've got Dortmund, Bayern Munich and Leipzig. So you've got three from Germany. Um, and you've got Inter Milan, Napoli and Lazio from Italy. So there's there's three countries there that have all got more representatives in the round of 16 than the Premier League, which is unforgivable, really, when you look at the vast wealth of the Premier League compared to those other European countries. It's a massive underachievement. Well, Crook will tell you what my rule is. I have a rule about this, don't I, Crook? Yeah, you do. Um, that unless it's Real Madrid, no English club should really be losing to a, a team in the Champions League. Maybe Bayern Munich would have something to say about that. But I think you're right. And Manchester United in particular, to go out of a group that included Copenhagen and Galatasaray, hardly two heavyweights of Europe, and finish bottom of the group, that's absolutely abject and shameful from a Manchester United perspective. And I still think Newcastle had opportunities to get through as well. If you have a look at the 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 money that the Premier League clubs bring in, the budgets that the Premier League clubs have, right? And you look at the wage bill, and you look at the the competitiveness of the league. There is absolutely no way, no way, they should be going out in the group stages. Sorry, there isn't. Okay, with Newcastle, I, I think there's mitigating mitigating circumstances on the basis that they did get drawn in the toughest group that, that you know has been drawn for a while. Fair enough, but even then, they still should have got through. She got got through because they had a dodgy penalty that was given against them in the game in Paris. Yeah. And they should have won last night's game. So they should have been through. I would have an asterisk with, with Newcastle. It's their first season in the Champions League. They're still getting Fair used enough. to it. I refer back to United as well. And, and you know, you're right about the money, but it's not all about money. It's about experience and knowledge of competitions. And this was a really tough group. But but generally speaking, I, I agree with you. And, and Manchester United, not good at all. Well, we'll come to them in just a moment. Uh, Fulham coming off the back of back-to-back 5-0 wins. Uh, how many are they going to win by at St. James's Park, do you reckon, Scott? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was at that game, uh, the Cottages, as I say. I think they met West Ham at a really good time. Who would, you know, mentally and physically had gone after the, the, the Spurs game and, um, and regularly playing midweek games as well. But they are playing really well. I, I, I like them and it's great to see Raul Jimenez scoring goals as well. Look, do I think Fulham can go there and, and win? Absolutely. You know, Newcastle, I think it would be after the Lord Mayor's show. Fulham in really good form. I wouldn't be surprised here. They're not going to score. It's not going to be four or five again, but I can definitely see them going and, and getting at very least a point, if not winning it. Um, Newcastle have actually won six Premier League games in a row at St. James's Park, and they've only conceded once during that time. Not since um, 2002-03 have they won seven consecutive home games. So if they do end up winning on Saturday, it'll be the best form at home in 21 years. Um, but they do have Caitlin Wilson back, which is really important because he made his first start after what was a seven-game period out against AC Milan. He's just come back from a hamstring injury. He scored 12 goals in his last 11 Premier League starts. Didn't score in the Champions League, uh, but he is he's a potent force and he's going to be difficult to to contend. But Fulham themselves have found their goal-scoring form and after a period in which they were really struggling to sort of deal with the absence of Alexander Mitrovic, they've done brilliantly and Iwobi in particular, I think it's coming to the form crook. Yeah, and Jao Paulinha as well. Uh, I don't think there's many better midfielders in the He's not, he's not coming to the Inter form. He's been in form for the last year and a half. He's brilliant. We mentioned him on the podcast when he was going to Bayern Munich, how great he is. And if you watch that mm-hmm. game back on Sunday... The first goal that they score is down to the fact that he crunches in twice to two brilliant tackles and then sets up the uh, the, the goal with a brilliant assist. He is fantastic. And I still think it's bonkers that because of his age, the, the, the big clubs in the Premier League don't seem to be interested. You know, we ran the story that he was offered to Chelsea and they thought he was too old. I believe that he's been offered to Arsenal and Liverpool as well. And they've got reservations. I think he'd probably end up at Bayern probably in January, but that'd be a big loss to the Premier League. But you're right, it will be... Obviously went for quite a high transfer fee, I think based on what he achieved at Everton, but he seems to have settled in really well. And I'm with Scott on this. I think if you look at Newcastle's second half performance, yes, I know they've got a couple of players to come into the team. Dan Byrne could start, for example. Isak, you would expect to start. They were out on their feet. And I think mentally and physically, this is a brilliant time for Fulham to be going to Newcastle. I've actually put them down for a 2-1 win, Fulham. Is it a good time for Sheffield United to go to Chelsea, Scott Minto? (laughs) <laughs> it's always a good time to go to Stanford Bridge, isn't it, at the moment? Um, I, I spoke to Chrissy Wilder Saturday morning before going on, on my way to Selhurst doing the Palace-Liverpool game, and, and he was absolutely buzzing. 
Um, obviously, this is before the win. Um, he thought they played really well against Liverpool. Um, I, I sent him a text afterwards. He, a good friend of mine, Keith Andrews, is on the, the staff there now. And listen, I, I said to him, I still don't think you're going to keep him up. But actually, I think you've got a great chance of doing it. And if they, even if they do go down, then they can bounce back up because he's been there before. And I feel what we've seen in the last couple of performances are a, a bunch of players who have now been reinvigorated. And, you know, he's changed the system a little bit or, or not the system he'd normally want, but they're absolutely at it. And Chelsea, well, look, you know, we're in December now. I've defended um, Pochettino and, and rightly so. And I'm, ple- I'm saying, please, please, please do not even think about getting rid of him. But he should be doing better. There's no doubt about it. I think the owners, or should I say, well, the owners themselves, brilliant genius on paper the way they they got around not got around ffp but did what they did but on 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 the field it's not the same and i blame the recruitment more actually than the owners i think it was a brilliant idea but they brought in lots of young players and talk about paulinia seemed to be too old how good would he be in that chelsea midfield and it'd be half the price of say okay say though so look i can go on for hours i'll stop now but yes it is a good time to be playing chelsea Dreadful recruitment policy and dreadful management of, of of resources behind the scenes. They've they've lost some brilliant players. If you go back and look, you remember this is 2023, fellas. In 2021, Chelsea won the Champions League. And if you compare the squad from that day in Porto and you compare it now, it's unreal, really, that, that they've gone through so much change in, in two and a half years. It's frightening that they've spent so much money and yet they, the squad is nowhere near in terms of quality in comparison to that. And, you know, you can say this, that, the other about who is, who's been brought in and what they've failed to do and what they haven't done. I mean, the truth is, is that that squad, that team, is going to be very, very fortunate to finish in the top eight of the Premier League this year. That, by any measure, is a massive, massive failure, a huge failure. And it is down to the people that have orchestrated it and bought the players in and Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynn Stanley never get mentioned. They never get talked about. They're the two sporting directors. They sit there trying to sort of make sure that their positions are secure and they cozy up alongside Beg Dagad Bali and, and Todd Bowley. Bowley actually stepped away from a lot of frontline duties and keeping out of the way a little bit now. But the truth is, is that they haven't done a very good job. They've done a very bad job. And as a result, Chelsea are in a, Pochettino's in a predicament where it, they can't win games. They've conceded 26 goals, the joint most at this stage of a season since 1986-87. I remember 1986-1987. Chelsea were crap. Like, really, really <laughs> bad. The next year, they got relegated. And all due respect, some of these players were my heroes growing up, right? But in 1986-87, Colin Pates and Darren Wood were in the squad, Right? I'm not being funny. They wouldn't get in the squad now, funnily enough. This is this is a decline of industrial proportions. And actually, they need to be a little bit... I think they need to be under the pump a little bit more, those, those two in particular. I agree. I totally agree. The bottom line is... Sorry, Crookie, I'll let you come in now. The bottom line is you spend nearly a billion pounds and you haven't got a world-class striker and a world-class goalkeeper. And the boxes is where games are won. Absolutely. It, um, it's, it, you, you're dead right yeah you're dead right that attention needs to start turning on the owners now because it's too easy and we know Chelsea fans are already blaming Pochettino get him out he's not good enough he's never won anything who are you going to bring in it's the same issue at Manchester United if if, if there are fans who want Eric Ten Hag sacked fine but give me a name of a world class manager who's going to come in and transform either of those two football clubs because they're just not out there and I've heard of managers losing the dressing room, which I know Scott hates that saying. But I think we're in a situation here, and we've touched on it on the transfer notebook this week, where actually the owners have lost the dressing room. Because from what I'm told, Pochettino's relationship with his players is good. They can see that he's a decent coach operating in very difficult circumstances. They're not convinced, as a group of players, that those running the ship know what they're doing. And for me, they're playing championship manager, you know, when you get the new game, you're all excited, you take over a team, you think, right, I'm going to sell 10 players, I want, I want to make a statement, I'm going to bring in 11. And you're right, they, they, they've done that and they've made the team worse. It's mismanagement of the highest level and it isn't Pochettino's fault, it's those above him. 
Yep, I totally agree with you. Um, the bad news for Chelsea is, is that Reese James has got uh, another hamstring injury. So we're we're going to be into, by the time we finish, over 230 days out of his career with hamstring injuries. Um, it, this is... I, I, what do you do in this circumstance, Scott? Where do you go here? Because he's going to have to have an operation. It's, he, I looked at him when he pulled his hamstring on Sunday. He looked like he was going to cry his eyes out because he knew that it was a bad one straight away. And that's that's disheartening for him because he's miss, he's missing on average twenty games a season because of injury. Uh, honestly, Sam, I don't know. I, I read a really good article on on the Athletic um, of someone. I can't, apologies, can't remember his name, but but saying what it's like, you know, to to work with people who struggle with hamstrings and what it's all about and how you rehab. They have got the best people there. One thing you'd say about the owners, they brought people in who are highly qualified, certainly on the medical side and sports science. And they don't know, clearly. You know, I, 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 the honest answer is I, I do not know. He must be doing all the exercises beforehand. He must be doing all the exercises afterwards. But what we do have is a potential world-class player who has been made captain, even though I don't think he was quite ready to be captain of Chelsea Football Club, who can't stay fit. And there's no doubt about it, if him and Ben Chilwell are fit on a regular basis, Chelsea will talk about both boxes, but those two players are absolutely key. I feel sorry for him. I feel really sorry for him because he must be absolutely devastated. He's out again. He loves the club. He's proud to be wearing the captain's armband. And yet, if the, the, the powers that be far more highly qualified than I am don't know, then I haven't got a clue, mate. Uh, Sheffield United, I think, will get something at Chelsea on Saturday. Uh, Burnley against Everton, the Sean Dyche derby. Everton bidding very good form. Four wins in five. Would be 10th if they weren't uh, given their points deduction. Um, just a quick word on that, Crook. We've had the appeal go in. Do we know when it's going to be heard? Uh, no, it's all very secretive, but I think you know both parties want a fairly quick conclusion. Speaking to people more expert in legal matters than me, they're not convinced that Everton have actually got much of a case. I think a lot of Everton's case surrounds the fact they've not really been told how you know they've reached this number, but they, they have breach rules, and I think most people are expecting this to be upheld. I know people close to those on the independent panel who made the, the judgment and they assure me that they would have left no stone unturned. So I think it might be a struggle for Everton, but let's be honest with their recent form, they can afford the 10 points and they're, they're still going to be absolutely fine. They're going to take it now um, rather than defer it. I mean, the, the other thing is you could fight this for ages in a legal situation and end up uh, it being applied in a season's time. But actually it's worth taking at this moment in time because everybody else at the bottom of the table is so bad that you, and Everton have just responded well, uh, that they're going to end up being able to survive despite the fact they've been deducted 10 points, which, by the way, is remarkable. Um, it's galvanised them. They look a different team. And Jared Branthwaite in particular looks like a real prospect at centre-back, Scott, doesn't he? I mean, in, obviously, Sean Dyche values his contribution. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'm sure Sean Dyche has given him extra tips on... On exactly how to play that position, but what, what and he looks a star of the future. There's no doubt about it. And it's, I'm telling you now, it is not easy for a youngster to come in when a club's been one so passionate with the fans, but two, it's been so depressing over the last couple of years. So you're coming into a real pressure cooker situation, and he's dealt with it so well. But I mean, look, I think the form happened before that. It was almost since that Luton game, wasn't it? You know, they beat Bournemouth, perhaps uh, you know, unlucky to lose to Liverpool beat um, West Ham, or I saw as well. And since then, it's picked up. So it's almost, they've been great beforehand. They've continued it on. The Man U performance wasn't great, but it it is what it is. I think mentally, you can give them another five points deduction, not that they want it, and they'd still be okay. They'll be mid-table. And I think Sean Dyche needs a lot of credit for that. Yeah, they're having their best winning run since March 2021. They've not won four successive Premier League games since December 2020 under Carlo Ancelotti. They haven't conceded a single goal in those last three uh, Premier League wins as well. So they're doing pretty well. Uh, for Burnley, the worst home record in the Premier League, just three points from their eight games so far. But have we seen signs that it's starting to click, Rook? Yes and no. Um, they obviously got a point at Brighton, but really only thanks to James Trafford in goal. Um, you could say they looked a bit more defensively watertight, but they probably didn't. If you look at the XG, um, hit Brighton against the, the run of play and Brighton made a habit of chucking away points in those type of games this season. So 
I'm still not convinced they're going to stay up, to be honest. I still think they're far too open. Um, I think Kolyosho is is a massive miss because I think he's got a little bit of star quality. Um, so I think I think it's an uphill struggle. I, I could see them possibly grinding out a point this weekend, but equally it wouldn't surprise me if Everton were to win the game. I, I would be surprised if Burnley won. They're as bad as Tottenham are sort of throwing away points from winning positions. They dropped 16 already this season from winning positions positions uh Burnley um uh, interesting there uh Crook said I, oh, I just can't see them staying I just don't can't see them staying up you've been saying they've been going down since the beginning of the campaign you know you don't think they're going to stay up Sam they might struggle to get another point this month we've got Everton and we know are in good form Fulham are in very good form that's the way and then it's Liverpool and Aston Villa at Villa Park Good luck with that. Uh, right, let's get stuck into uh, the big one. Manchester United travel to Liverpool this Sunday. You'll be hard-pressed to find a Manchester United fan who's expecting anything other than an absolute shellacking. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Full time, Manchester United nil. Bournemouth 3, the remaining Manchester United fans have their feelings heard. Boos ring around a half-empty Old Trafford. Unbelievable today that I've watched Manchester United get pumped by Bournemouth. The responsibility rests with the manager because he does the coaching and dictates the patterns of play and he also chooses the players that play. And the biggest problem United have had this season in the games I've seen, and I've seen 70% of them, too easy to play against. It's just been a dismal Champions League competition for Manchester United this season. Hasn't worked for them at all. They're going out of Europe, not just Champions League, but even the Europa League. They're going out of Europe all together. Finished here at Old Trafford tonight. Manchester United nil, Bayern Munich one. For me, Ten Hag, um, not up to it, should go. But I hate clubs that sack managers and have no plan. That annoys me. Right, guys, it's been a pleasure, but I've got a nip-off at this point. I'll see you uh, at the weekend. I was just about to say, funnily enough, Sam, is this the point where you and I can go off and then Crookie can have his monologue for an hour? Well, it was interesting, actually, because um, he rings me yesterday and we're discussing um, the logistics of getting into Anfield on Sunday and doing the show. And he was like, I'll just go to Arsenal. I said, I bet you will. He went, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to Anfield. I said, why not? He goes, because we're just going to get our backsides handed to us. We know we are. Um, so he's sort of reticent about going to Anfield on Sunday. We've talked him into it. We've coaxed him into it. He's going to go to Anfield on Sunday. Good fan. Uh, when was the last time you went to, to Anfield, Crook? The last time I went to Anfield was to watch Portsmouth play Liverpool. And Milan Mandrick told me in the corridor afterwards that he was going to sack Alan Perran. Right. So that was, <laughs> so what, 2005? Yeah, pretty much. It was just wow. changed. Yeah, it's changed. I've, I've never been to Liv- <laughs> I've never been to Liverpool United Anfield. I have been to United Liverpool uh, numerous times, including when Steven Gerrard got himself sent off, which was great fun. <laughs> They've had a good record at you against you recently, though, haven't they? Four nil, five nil, and seven nil in three of the last four meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Take your pick. How many is it going to be this weekend? I mean, genuinely, it is going to be horrendous. 
um, for Manchester United supporters because they're going to get battered. Name your price now, Liverpool. I think if you said they lose 3-0, United fans would probably see that as a positive result because they're playing rubbish. They've got more injuries they picked up in midweek and Liverpool have got goals aplenty. So this is, this is going to be another very traumatic afternoon. And I actually don't think that uh, Manchester United will get thrashed in this game. I think it'll be 1-0, 2-0, something like that. You know, And, and I think that would probably be enough. On what, on what basis? <laughs> I just yeah. don't... Cause, cause, cause I, we, I, mainly, uh, do you know what? Mainly because we all think they're going to get thrashed, right? Mm. And because we all think they're going to get thrashed, I think it's probably unlikely that that will actually happen because it never does, does it? You know, that we all sit there, we build up these massive games. We go, oh, this is going to be brilliant and it's nil-nil. Um, we build up, this team's going to thrash that team and it doesn't really happen. You know? I agree. Uh, but they I have considered the most goals um, by an English club in the group stage ever, Manchester United of Champions League, 15, well done. The lowest Champions League group points total set by a Manchester United side in history, well done. Um, Eric Ten Hag um, said in a press conference, with a straight face, and I think he was being serious and not sarcastic, we played really well uh, against the team in which they had, I think, 18 touches in the opposition penalty area. Yeah, Well done. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, hardly a shot on goal in the match. Um, so it, it, I can understand why Crook is feeling the way he is. And I think if you look at all the statistics, they all point to Liverpool victory, Liverpool victory, Liverpool victory. But can you find any area of optimism, Scott, for Manchester United? Is there sort of, a, can you see something that they can expose in that Liverpool team? <laughs> this will be good. Well, look, first of all, they, they were the worst team in the group and deserved to finish bottom. I, I saw Copenhagen Galatasaray um, and those two were, were better than United. They lost to both of those. They, had, they took the lead, what, four times in six games, blown two goal leads. And it was not Newcastle's group, the group of death. So really, really poor. Ten Hag clearly struggling, trying to stay positive. Look, are there positives? No. But that doesn't mean to say you turn up and you don't have a game plan. And sometimes a strength can be a weakness. And I love Trent Alexander-Arnold. I really do. I think he's amazing. But when he comes into midfield, there's no doubt about it. And I've spoken to people before. They do work on trying to exploit that space. Now, the decision is, who do you play on the left? Is Marcus Rashford OK again? I, I don't know. I'll still play Garnacho. I'm looking you at define cookies. Define what you mean by OK. Me like, well, fit. Yeah, good. Fair play. You define OK. I, I almost think this might be a type of game that Marcus Rashford will almost have to perform well. And it's almost like throw him in and say, do you know what? Go on. You've had a lot of criticism. This is Anfield. This is Liverpool. Let's see what you can do. Um, I, I'm not sure where I'd play him because I do think Garnacho is, is good on the left and deserves to, to play on the left. But I think sometimes players, when the pressure's really on and they have their backs to the wall, that's where you see what they're capable of. I've been disappointed with, with Rashford, both from an attitude and a performance point of view. This might be the game that, that turns it around. So I would exploit that right-back area wherever Trent is, because I think even if he's in that one-on-one, he, he's not the greatest defensively. Is he going to be OK, uh, Rashford, or is he, is he going to uh, be ill for the biggest game of the, of, of the season so far? I mean, you know, I mean, who... Who would have thought that you know a little cold could stop you from playing against Bayern Munich? But apparently, uh, that's the case. Um, uh, Crook wants to know who's going to wear the armband. No Bruno, no Maguire, no Shaw. Um, Anthony. <laughs> I mean that that sums it up, doesn't it? You know, we're sat here, it's still the, the biggest game in English football in terms of worldwide appeal, and they may as well give one of the fans the armband because there's no leaders. And there were no leaders against Bayern Munich. Ten Hag can tell us all he wants. That was a good performance. It was dreadful. Yeah. You know, considering Bayern have already qualified, United had to win. It was do or die. And they died. You know, and they, and they died without putting up any kind of fight. Obviously, we're hearing whispers now that if Ten Hag does go, and I still don't think that's going to be a decision that's reached imminently, that Graham Potter could be a contender. I can see that. You know, And I've had conversations with people suggesting he is very much in the frame because he's got a relationship with... Um, Dave Brailsford and, and, and with uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe and actually even with Dan Ashworth. We ran the story last week that he's a contender for the sporting director role. United fans have dismissed Graham Potter because of what happened at Chelsea. And I know you weren't a fan, Sam, but I think if you look at what Pochettino's struggling to do there now, that there may be, you know, that suggests the problem, as we've articulated, is at the board level as opposed to in the dugout. I think he's a better coach than he showed at Chelsea. I think he would have learned from that experience in terms of his personality 
which was an issue at Stamford Bridge. That, I think he'd probably sell thing. himself a little He's, bit better. You've got to, you've got to, you've yeah. got to come across a little bit better. You've got to hold a room better than, than Graham does if you're going to be the Manchester United. But he'll know that at this moment in time, and hopefully he's been working on that. And he, and if that is the case, but all these these decisions are not these are longer term decisions. These are not something that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. There's no the takeover sizable chunk of Manchester United which is being bought by Sir Jim Radcliffe is not happening today. And even if it did happen today, none of these moves are going to happen in the immediate future. All of these moves, bringing in Sir Dobes, Brailsford, bringing in new sporting directors, they're probably going to bring in two of those, that they are going to happen in January or further down the line. This is a process. It's not going to be something that happens quickly. Business doesn't work like that. You don't just turn up on a on a Monday and go right. Okay, I'm going to set the manager and bring in Graham Potter and a whole new staff above him. It's just not going to happen. So uh, that is not something that Manchester United fans can get excited about or not um, in the immediate future. It will be something that happens over time. But Julian Lepetegui has also been mentioned over the last twenty four hours as well as a possible uh, contender for the job. Um, it, it's, it's it's interesting because I do think that Ten Hag has now got himself into a situation where you know his tactics aren't aren't good enough. He, the, the performances, even with what he's got, aren't good enough. So scrutiny is going to to come on his shoulders, and there seems to be a little bit of an area of acceptance among Manchester United fans about how poor they've become. Yeah, and that's certainly the case in the stands. You know, I think there's uh, a mood of apathy as opposed to anger at this moment in time. They've almost run out of anger, which is not a great place to be. But I think if you look at Unai Emery and Ange Postacoglu in particular, and you look at how quickly they've been able to get their principles across, how quickly they've been able to get Villa and Spurs playing with an identity, that has exposed Ten Hag. Because yes, he's had ballroom issues to deal with. He's had a lot of injuries. He's had the Jaden Sancho situation, which some may feel was partly self-inflicted. But he hasn't got an identity out of Manchester United. You don't know what they're trying to do. Even when they win games against the dregs in the Premier League, the performances are poor. So I think if if it was a normal setup, you had normal owners who actually cared about what happens on the pitch and you had a, a chief executive who was fit for purpose and able to make empowering decisions, I think he'd be in big trouble, Ten Hag. And listen, I don't necessarily want him fired, but you look at the performances this season, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to make a case for him to stay. Well, you look at the way they set up, uh, Scott, and and this is a quite a basic thing to do, isn't it? Set up a football team. I mean, that is your job. That, that, forget all the noise that's around it. You can have a go at um, the players for, for misbehaving off the field. You can have a go at the owners for not investing in this, that, the other. All of that. Yeah, okay. That's all That's all true. Newport County haven't got a chairman or a chief executive and um, they, they don't own their training ground and they don't own their ground. They had a six-year-old girl going around with a bucket trying to raise funds so that they could ensure they've got enough money to pay for the travel to get around uh, the EFL League Two season. But on the field, Graham Coughlin has put a system, whatever system it is, that works so that his team can get some semblance of a result every now and again. That's the job, isn't it? You know, forget the noise that's around you. Concentrate, Eric Ten Hag, on making sure that you've got a pattern of play, you've got a system that can exploit the weaknesses of other teams and also get the best out of the players that you've got and get everyone to buy into it. Mm. That is the yeah. job. No, no, it is. And, and you know, obviously you've given one extreme example there and I'll give you a, a, another extreme example of the other end to, to Newport and that's Manchester City, you know, the neighbours. Pep Guardiola gets a group of players that not only are technically very, very good, but are willing to work hard. And I think if you look at the Champions League table, they scored lots of goals. They conceded lots of goals. What does that tell you? You can't just blame the defence for that. And Anana's certainly made a, a few gaffes. But it's not working well as a team. Now, I'm sure he is drilling them. And if he's not, then he should be sacked. And I'm not suggesting he should be sacked. But I'm sure he is drilling them to, to be good defensively as well as offensively. Now, when you've got a group of players, again, we go back to Chelsea's recruitment, but Manchester United's recruitment as well. Anthony Martial has been there, what, almost a decade, Crookie? You know, and, and still, and you know... Hasn't scored 100 goals yet. You know, he was he was given another contract to try and keep his value. Well, well, well that was a good deal, wasn't it? That You know, he's only going to let his contract run out at the end of the season and then he'll go. And in the dressing room, when you've got bad pros, and whatever you say about Cristiano Ronaldo... 
very, very selfish, very all about himself. But still, he was a very good pro. And he said there's not enough youngsters here. There's not enough players who know what it's like to work hard at a top, top club. Pep Guardiola does not have anyone who doesn't give it 100%. And if they do start to, uh, choose my words carefully, not work very hard, they're off. It's as simple as that. I feel for Ten Hag, but I agree with Crookie. It's got to be better. You know United haven't scored at Anfield a single goal for five years. Well, that'll be helped by the fact that Rasmus Hoyland is up front because he's prolific. <laughs> I'm not biting on that. You're not biting on that? Scott, is there, is there room in the, in the Scott Minto fan club for Nicholas Jackson, Dar and Nunez and, and Rasmus Hoyland? I mean, in fact, Rasmus Hoyland, after all of the stick that Crook has given you for defending two players that actually do score goals, um, <laughs> it's, it's surprising that he never, ever mentions the fact that Rasmus Hoyland uh, hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet. And it's, it's not Christmas. Do, do you know what? I'll defend him as well. Um, because one, there was a lot of money bought on a player who didn't even hit double figures last season. So the pressure on him at one of the world's biggest clubs that have just been shocking. And don't forget, he was injured at the start of the season. So he's come into a real pressure cooker situation there. Um, he has scored goals in the Champions League, but he's got two wide players who just want to come inside all the time and shoot or do something for themselves. Alan Brazil came up with a great phrase on The Breakfast Show on uh, Thursday morning. Uh, they were just talking randomly about Anthony and how much Gabby Agbonlahor found him frustrating. And uh, Alan Brazil just went, just go on the outside, you tube. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's probably the best bit of advice that Anthony has ever received. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> let's talk about Liverpool sitting top of the pile, not looked anywhere near as good as the title-winning side of a few years ago. And I think you know, I spoke to Jurgen Klopp after the game on Saturday. And again, you know, they weren't perfect in that game against uh, Crystal Palace, but they got the job done. And they are, they're a team that actually at this moment in time, that they have great moments in matches. They concede goals still, but they've got the joint best defence in the league. Often considering the first goal in games, there's something about them in terms of will to win. There's something about them in terms of character and resilience, which is, is I think, uh, probably an example to Manchester United. They're everything that Manchester United are not in that they... They've got a group of talented players that are just finding their feet as a team coming together for the first time this season. And they've got some serious resilience in that group, Scott. Absolutely, mate. And and I can't remember the, what you just said now about their performance last week. And I thought you were doing them a, a big service because they were terrible. They were really bad. Five minutes. They, were, they weren't in the game. No. They, and, and Palace played very, very well against them. But you're absolutely right. And you can claim that the sending off played a part in it, but very soon after, and I, I need to look back and from the sending off to the actual goal to see whether, um, you know, IU could have played a part in stopping it. I'm not so sure. I think, again, you're absolutely, I'm just echoing what you're saying. They found a way to win and these mentality monsters are getting back. And for him to do that, as we said before, with the midfield gutted out and senior pros in that dressing room week in, week out, not being there anymore, I, you know, and and to think that you feel there's another gear, you know, not only United uh, need to look at them, but I think other teams should be worrying, and they are bang in the middle of the title race. People talking about Villa, um, you know, and and obviously early in the season about Spurs. No, no, no. I'm sorry. This is a three horse race, and Liverpool are right up there with the way that City are just off it a little bit. And Harvey Elliott is an example of a player who can come on midway through a second half and change the game, which is what he did against Crystal Palace, actually. Uh, and that's something that Jürgen Klopp has started to do very well with this group as well, is, is change it up and, and make an impact with his substitutes, but also shows the depth of that squad, Alex. Yeah, it does. And, and obviously, they, they needed the overhaul in midfield. They were one of the more active clubs in, in the summer. And I think what's impressed me and probably impressed a lot of people is how quickly... This team has gelled. I think there's still a couple of gears to go for Liverpool, actually. I think there's still some games, even against Palace, where they don't entirely convince. But if you can get to the top of the Premier League without actually hitting top stride and probably put Arsenal in that category as well, then it's a very positive sign. And it's the first time in two years that they've gone into a, a game week top of the table. And there's a lot of players in and around that team, the likes of Van Dijk and, and Salah, uh, the goalkeeper, obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Robertson when he's fit who've been there and got the T-shirt. I think that big game experience is going to be massive in the second half of the season. That will give them the edge, certainly over Aston Villa, you know, and, and Spurs, if we're still talking about Tottenham, certainly as top four contenders. 
Um, I think that's what we've been saying, really. It, the fact is, is that they haven't been at their best, but yet they're still top of the table and there's more to come from them. Therefore, you would expect Liverpool to be there or thereabouts. I've, I've said it. Imagine what happens, Sam. Sam, imagine what happens when Darwin Nunez starts scoring. Exactly. Imagine what happens. Well, let's not hold our breath. Shall we have a a hold our breath uh, contest? Shall we all hold our breath until either Rasmus Hoyland or Darwin Nunez scores a goal next? Uh, We might be in serious trouble. (laughs) Um, Do you know what? If I'm clinging on to anything from a Manchester United perspective... Oh, go on then. Cling on to something. Well... There was a certain player called Diego Forlan who had trouble finding the back of the net in his early tenure at Manchester United. And uh, he famously went to Anfield and scored twice, um, sparking the chant. He comes from Uruguay. He made the Scousers cry. Who knows? Maybe this weekend could be Rasmus Hoyland's Diego Forlan moment. Yep. Could be. Might not be. You never know. Uh, Crook's got his head in his hands. Manchester United are going to uh, Liverpool on Sunday. The Sunday session has got round the grounds and we'll bring you updates on all the big games, including that huge match between them and Manchester United. We've got commentary Nottingham Forest against Tottenham on Friday night as well. And it's going to be a massive weekend of Premier League football. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you uh, on Sunday night, Monday morning. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.